Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty, so you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash I do. What's going on? Thanks for tuning in to today's show. 
Yeah, we have a great show with Dr. Alexandra Solomon, and we've actually had her on the show before. We love her. And she is a clinical assistant professor at Northwestern University and a licensed clinical psychologist at the Family Institute at Northwestern University. She is the creator and facilitator of the new course, Intimate Relationships 101, and the author of her new book, Taking Sexy Back, How to Own Your Sexuality and Create the relationships you want. And we had a great conversation today about relational self-awareness and how we can understand our past history in the family dynamics that we grew up with and apply that information to our relationship and learn about ourselves and our partner in the process. So a lot of great tools today. She mentioned something that we've never had, uh, suggested on the show a writing exercise don't give it away i'm not gonna give it away (laughs) this was the lead to make the listeners Ah, yes listen yes 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 (laughs) but it's a it's a great one and it's worth getting the full explanation i would just tell you but dr solomon does a much better job and it's a more thorough explanation of this writing exercise that will help you get unstuck a lot of times if you're having an issue with your partner, family member, friend, uh, just relational conflict. It's a really cool exercise. And if you want to learn more about this topic, about the relational self-awareness, we'll also link to her TED Talk, which is around this uh, in the show notes and on the website. So head over there to, to check out that. And as always, we appreciate you guys listening, telling your friends and family about the show, signing up for our 14-day Happy free. Couple Challenge. Of course, it's absolutely free. <laughs> I didn't want you to forget that part. <laughs> yes, Sarah was like raising her hand like she had to say something. And uh, yeah, and checking that out and leaving us those five-star reviews. We're well over a thousand now, which is crazy. I'm not even sure how many reviews we're at. Almost all of them five stars. So thank you for that. That helps us out a ton. And we hope you guys are staying safe, staying warm for those of you in the northern climates and happy and healthy. So, uh, yeah, just sending you guys a big COVID safe virtual hug and uh, enjoy today's show. Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us back on the show. It's so good to be with you again. Today, we're going to talk about relational self-awareness. And you actually did a TED Talk on this. So I want to ask you to start, why did you choose out of all the topics on relationships and your broad area of expertise, why did you choose this as the topic you wanted to share with the world? That's a great question to start with. I... Um, You know, it really is the through line in all of the work that I do. It's what holds together um, my teaching and my writing and my work as a clinician is this idea um, that our relationship with ourselves is... um, is what we have to get right in order to have healthy relationships with other people, that that really is the foundation. It's what we need to come back to again and again and again. And that concept is so important to me that it's that it it is the the thing that holds together whether we're talking about dating or parenting or infidelity or any of those other topics the place i want people to be really, be really grounded in is that curious compassionate relationship we have with ourselves that dictates how all the rest of it goes so how can we begin to 
just understand our relationship with ourselves, and and then bring that into our relationship. And through that understanding, obviously, that's how we're going to be interacting with our partner. You know, the place that I really want people to start is um, by looking at looking at early experiences, like looking at the family system. So as somebody who has been working as a relationship and family systems therapist for two decades, I really believe that we the way we come to know ourselves is in our relationships. And so the family that raised us, that's our original love classroom, as I call it, right? That's the place where we are every single day absorbing so many messages about who we are, about what relationships are about, about what gender is about, about how difference is handled, messages about boundaries, messages about emotion. We are learned, like we're like students, you know, absorbing all of this, um, all of this information, all of this meaning when we're little. And those experiences live within us in such a powerful and profound way. And we end up replaying those old dramas then when we fall in love as adults. So where I want us to start is by really understanding, okay, who was I in my family? And what are the most important lessons that I learned when I was little? So a lot of my work is helping people understand their the family system. So I've definitely tried to look at my family history and my past and, and growing up and Sometimes things are pretty clear and it's like, okay, I, I understand that's how I received love from my parents and, and just all the different things that go on. But then it's like, then what? Like if I, if I recognize that that was a negative pattern maybe, and what is the value then in bringing that into awareness and then into a relationship? Mm-hmm. And so great questions. Like sort of like what, like what's next then? Or like what's exactly. the then what? Mm-hmm. And I think that this the the healthiest and happiest intimate relationships are the ones that can take a moment of conflict, um, misunderstanding, disappointment, frustration, and hold on to both the present, like the here and now, um, and also hold on to a, a curiosity about like, what are the ways in which each of us is potentially playing out old dramas from the past? Like I oftentimes will ask, like, who are the ghosts in the room? Like, what are the ways in which the past is informing how I'm experiencing myself and how I'm experiencing you? We know we need this approach when we're hitting one of those like impasses, right? Where it's like, where there's the urge to say like, agree to disagree, or we're not going to get anywhere. Or when, when couples say things like, this is the same fight we've had a hundred times. I think that that is um, the red flag, or the, not a red flag, but the, the blinking indicator light that there are ghosts in the room that haven't been attended to yet. That sense of stuckness, that sense of, um, of like static, like we're not getting anywhere. It's because you're actually not fighting with each other. You each are fighting against some sort of an old drama that, um, that really needs to be understood because what's so beautiful is, is when we practice relational self-awareness, conflict, misunderstanding, disappointment, frustration, those become gateways actually for intimacy 
Like I come to understand you more deeply. You come to understand me more deeply and healing because then when we're able to have a different kind of response with our intimate partner than perhaps we had in our family growing up, we're healing um, sort of old wounds and the relationship then becomes like a crucible or a space of healing rather than a space for re-injury. Let's say a couple or an individual is having that same argument with their partner over and over again. And, you know, they've now just listened to the show and they're, they're aware that, you know, maybe there is something that they need to work on something from their past. What is the next step for them to take to start that healing process? Yeah. So let's, let's play one out. Like, let's take an example of um, a couple that is having sort of like repeated conflict about work stress. Like when one, um, let's say part when partner A approaches partner B and like just wants to vent about work stress, partner B gets irritable and frustrated and shut down and like doesn't have any bandwidth for tolerating partner A's work stress. And then what, what I would want partner B to do is ask this question, what happens inside of me when my partner comes to me with her work stress? What's going on inside of me? Like rather than a simple answer, like it's annoying to listen to somebody complaining about their work. I want partner B to be curious about like, what's, what is it about my partner's work stress that is so activating to me? Like just that curiosity, that simple curiosity. This is something that just, um, um, I recently went through an example like this and, um, and what, and as partner B sits with that question of like, what's going on in me? What is, what makes it so hard for me to tolerate this? What they may realize is that they can get in a stance of judgment. They can judge their partner, that it's, um, that it's weak, that they are complaining too much. And what that can point to is like, why would I feel that way? And, and maybe it's because of a dynamic in the family of origin where um, partner B never had that chance, right? If partner B learned very early on that there's nobody here to listen to me and, um, and that I can't really show weakness, I have to be perfect. I have to have all my stuff figured out because that's who my family has sort of asked me to be, needed me to be, given me the message that I have to be then it's really hard for me to give my partner something that I don't know how to give myself. Mm-hmm. And so in that example, if partner B, rather than judging their partner for their need to vent, partner B can start to relate to that as like a point of growth and a point of healing. And that as partner B flexes that muscle of patience, of compassionate listening, they actually start to give themselves something. They make the space to give themselves something that they didn't have growing up, right? It's a new way of being in relationship because if I can give it to my partner, then maybe I can give it to myself. I can ask my partner for that. I can start to learn a new way of handling the stresses of life. I think that's such a common one around um, what can be so difficult is if what we learned growing up is that we have to be perfect. We have to have ourselves figured out. We can't complain. We can't lean on somebody else. Of course, we're going to be impatient in our relationships and we have the opportunity to grow in that way and to like do it differently. It's so hard in the moment when we're, to go with your example, when we're annoyed with our partner to break that chain, right? To bring in that self-awareness. And once you start doing it, 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 like you said, it's a muscle and you get better at it. Can you give 
Sarah and I and our listeners some tips to break that chain of instead of reacting to your partner and having them annoy you to really go in and, and analyze our past and, and take a different, better approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that you're right, that that's um, that it can be really hard in the moment. Um, and that one of the one of the I think the first step is sort of um, recognizing like I don't want to respond the way I've been responding. So so um, when I start to feel annoyed with my partner, that's the first, like the first step is to say, like, I'm going to press pause because I don't want to respond the way that I have typically responded to you. That that's the first, um, the first step to breaking the cycle is to kind of say, like, let's just press pause because I may need to step away and do a bit of self-reflection, right? To shift from um, annoyed to helpful. And I think that's one of the things that we, the need to kind of slow down pause, step away and come back, which is really different. Some of us grew up in families where, you know, doors were slammed, people left the house, like this idea of um, retreating or fleeing or shutting down was sometimes done in a way that was incredibly painful for us as kids. And so to practice that skill of like, let's pause, let's slow down. I don't want to say anything else right now that's a more mindful way, a more intentional way, a more compassionate way of slowing a process down and like inhabiting a pause is to say like, I'm going to take a break because I'm worried about what I might say next. I want to have a chance to do this differently. So just that right there um, is the first one. And then when I step away to really try to shift, like, because one of the things that we're at risk of doing when we step away is like just tightening up our arguments, right? And figuring out how we're really going to prove that we're right. So when we step away, we really want to use that time and that space to make a shift. Um, One of the things that's really helpful, I think, um, and the research backs this up, my colleague at Northwestern, Eli Finkel, had done this research that when couples step away and write about a problem from the perspective of a neutral third party who loves them both very much, it opens up an entirely different way of having that that conflict or that argument or that problem. So when I'm annoyed, I'm going to say, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to step away and I'm going to ideally write. But if I can't write, I'm going to at least imagine how would a third party describe what's happening right now? A third party who loves both of us very much. How would they describe what's happening? And it's, I guarantee you it's different than either how I would explain it or how my partner would explain it, right? That is a great exercise. I don't think we've ever heard that on the show. So I'm just thinking how, as you were saying it, how that can be applied to all relationships with your family members, with friends to, and even if only one side is doing that, how it can be really valuable. But if both sides can do that and then share, it it kind of eliminates the, the responsive or reactionary brain and gets us to think about it in a different way. It absolutely does. What it, what it opens up the possibility for, like what I love so much about when couples really commit to practicing relational self-awareness, then what we are gifted is the opportunity to become an ally in our partner's healing. So if I step away from a moment of irritation with my 
husband. I've had the same husband for 22 plus years. So, you know, we have moments of irritation and agitation. If I can step away and imagine how somebody who loves both of us might describe this, it opens up the space of empathy for my partner's perspective, which I can't have, right? When I'm flooded, the the definition or the experience of being flooded is I can't see it from your point of view. All I can see is that I'm the victim or I'm being wronged or um, I'm being misunderstood. If I can step away and take a stance that's a bit more neutral and empathic, I can start to see how my partner might be feeling in this moment. And it invites me to step into a chance to be like a supporter of his, a cheerleader for him, an ally to him. And hopefully he's doing the same for me, right? So that then rather than fighting for a scrap of understanding, we are each like kind of eager to express how it makes so much sense from your perspective. I can understand how given your history, given your unique network of tender spots, this wouldn't feel good for you. And if we both are curious about that process of how can we be an ally to the other, it's going to be a completely different positionality. Let's say this is really resonating with a listener right now, but not necessarily their partner. How can they navigate that? Like they're like, I listen to this great show. I want to dive in or maybe they're already doing it, but their partner is just not on board or they kind of are. How can they talk with their partner uh, about that or just move forward individually and, and practice this? Yeah, I'm sure this is a question that you guys get all the time. I, cer- I know that I certainly do. It's like um, when there's, you know, this whole, I mean, whenever we fall in love with somebody, we're falling in love with somebody who is different from us, who sees the world differently, who has different um, interests. And so one of the really common ones that I feel like I'm running into a lot in the last few years is um, a partner who's really like loves to nerd out on podcasts like yours and <laughs> books like mine, TED Talks, like, that that's, you know, one person really likes that and the other person um, really doesn't. And so how to bridge that difference. And I, I think there's a, a huge difference between a partner who is hesitant or inexperienced and a partner who's contemptuous of this stuff, right? So I think it's inevitable that one person's going to be listening to this podcast and is going to need to find a way to bring it up to their partner. I think there's a a difference between a partner who's like, okay, I'm up for trying it, but it kind of seems new and weird. And a partner who's like, oh, there you go again with all of this psycho babble stuff. You know what I mean? And I think the latter is much more problematic than the former. The former, oftentimes, I mean, usually, um, it's there's there tends to be a gendered piece to it. It tends to be, I know that, I suspect that your listenership is more women than men, no offense against men at all, but we are, women are raised to be um, far more... Um, relational or in charge of relational dynamics or, you know, kind of honing relationship stuff. And men are taught that the relationship world is whatever, dangerous, strange, um, weak, whatever. So I think that that's that when it's a woman who's needing to invite a man into the work, I think there needs to be a way of um, holding a both and like a both. This is important. And I may need to be a leader in this realm, right? I think those two things can coexist. I think it can be, I think that Um, you can hold your partner's feet to the fire and say, this matters for us and say, I get that it's new and weird. And I so appreciate you taking the risk, 
listening to this episode, um, trying this little exercise with me. I think we can we can do we can convey the empathy and still hold on to the expectation. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. We share a lot of great relationship advice on this show, but there's really no better way to grow both personally and in your relationship than working with a therapist. BetterHelp connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can communicate with your therapist via text, chat, phone, and video. And you can choose from over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states who specialize in relationships, depression, stress, anxiety, self-esteem, anger, and so many more areas. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And anything you share is confidential. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of the podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash I do. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash I do. Voting has always been important to me because I know how lucky I am to be able to exercise my right to vote. And every eligible voter should have the same right to make their voice matter. More than 160 million projected voters cast their ballot this year, shattering records. We want to know what motivated you to participate in an election that will help us deliver a democracy where we can all thrive. We've heard from first-time voters, those who stood in line for hours, and those who were moved to tears knowing how important their vote was. If you or someone you know had trouble voting or there's any other experiences you'd like to share, let your story be heard now. Visit andstillivote.org slash your story matters to join the fight for voting rights today. Paid for by the Leadership Conference Education Fund. So on this journey of self-discovery, really, of looking into our past and understanding how family dynamics are shaping our lives currently and through the reflection of a relationship. That's why, you know, relationships can be really beautiful for that. But sometimes I, I find I get frustrated with that process of, of like repeating these, the things I know I want to work on, but they're so ingrained, um, in in me uh, these in, and I've seen improvements, but how can we think about just the general process of of this improvement? Yeah, yeah, I think it's I um, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think part of it is like when I envision how our healing work goes or how our growth work goes, I picture like a spiral staircase. So there is like this cyclical nature and I think it can feel like like when something reappears or gets reactivated, I think there can be the sense of like, oh, why is this happening again? But I think it also um, in that again feeling, what we miss out on is that we likely come back a bit savvier than we were last time around. And I think maybe it's, we get 
just even a hair less activated than we did last time. Or so we don't go as deep or we don't stay down in that dark place for quite as long. So I think that we need to look for a way, rather than focusing on how, rather than focusing on the here we go again part, focusing on the what went differently this time around part. Because if we if we keep that lens focused on like, what are the, even the micro elements of improvement that keeps us motivated. And, um, and I think that we, this is just our life's work. Like, I don't think that any of us are ever done because the other thing that happens in relationship is even if a couple has gotten savvier about how to meet these painful moments, then the context changes, right? Then a global pandemic hits. <laughs> then somebody's unemployed. Then somebody's sick. Then somebody's having a baby. Then, <laughs> you know, so there's the context changes. So, so then the context then invites a new element in that we have to figure out how to meet or just we change, right? So as we, um, you know, we get a year older every single year. And so then the issues that matter to us are different. We're a bit different. Our perspective is a bit different. So it's why I always talk about like a dose-based approach to therapy. I want couples to do a little bit of therapy and then take some time away knowing full well they will need to come back to therapy again at some point because we we really aren't ever done. I think we just get a bit um, savvier about how we handle stuff. We've often heard on the show that the more aware you become of yourself and your relationship, sometimes it's even harder. Like there's a transition period where like you're learning so much and you're becoming aware that sometimes it can almost cause a negative effect on your relationship because you are like thinking about things differently. Um, What would you say to those listeners who are maybe in that place where they do find it more challenging now because they are more aware of their the issues in their relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that does that does happen. I think it's why I know sometimes um, I will hear from people that they feel like their their relationship is almost like meta, like they mm-hmm. are kind of in the space where they're above the relationship, analyzing the relationship more than they are actually doing the relationship. Right? Mm-hmm. They're spending. They feel like there's a, a the the balance of energy is towards analyzing the relationship versus just being in the relationship. And so I do, I do think that that is um, one of the side effects of um, relational self-awareness, like this kind of growth work is that it can get a bit like navel gazing, like that you're just kind of like, you get, you think about your thinking all the time, or you think about your relationship all the time. And so it is, um, we do need to have intentionality around things like rest and play, um, that, that we are like intentionally building in time that is, um, simple, restorative, silly, um, and that that's what kind of recharges our batteries and that it's okay. Um, that it's okay to like step away. Um, and it's okay to put a boundary around it. So I don't want couples spending, you know, an hour a day analyzing their relationship. I, I don't think that's necessary. I don't, they don't know that it's um, necessarily healthy unless both people like love it so much. So I think that that it can be helpful to put boundaries around relationship talk. Like let's, you know, let's have some time at the end of the day 
um, to check in or whatever. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have a couples meeting and, you know, we bring up things like to have a boundary around it to say, we'll talk about it, but we're going to set a timer, like literally set a timer on our phone for 45 minutes. And then we're going to stop talking about it for now. And we're going to do something else, watch a show together, go for a walk together. So I think that having some boundaries around relationship talk is okay. And it makes sense. And it doesn't mean um, that the conversation has to be done, but it does mean that people have maybe different amounts of um, bandwidth and energy for um, for talking about the dynamics. That's great advice for our longtime listeners, because yeah, if you're always listening to these shows and, and excited about it, I'm speaking from personal experience, then it's great. And it's like, ah, I want to apply these things. I want to learn about my family history, even on a personal level, not even for uh, a partner, but just to give yourself a break sometimes and that you don't have to be in your head trying to dissect everything all the time. Although awareness is, it's a beautiful thing and we want to be working towards it, but rest play is definitely important as well to insert that. I think we know we've shifted from reflection to rumination when um, when we are feeling, when the process is making us feel worse rather than better. And when it feels like we're going over the same material again and again and again. And rumination is, um, um, I think it can be sometimes a symptom of depression or anxiety, but I think it also like to start to notice when we're ruminating. Ruminating is that feeling of just like it's, I'm going over it and over it and over it. That that there's something very, very self-compassionate about saying, okay, my darling, dear self, like that's enough for now. You will step away from the journal and go turn on some Netflix. You know, like I think there's something very self-compassionate about saying that. Love it. That's good advice for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I also wanted to mention, I like how you talked about the spiral staircase for our self-development throughout life. And it reminded me at one point I was looking up symbols. I think I was going to get a tattoo. Never happened. But I was doing some like online search and and there's a Buddhist uh, symbol that's very popular of like the path to enlightenment. And a lot of them are a big spiral and it's kind of just like this wandering spiral and they look different. And then the middle is supposed to be enlightenment. I don't know that we ever get there. I think the Buddha did, but, but it's a a nice way to think about the path towards uh, of growth and that, yeah, it doesn't maybe even necessarily have that dot at the end of, of, okay, now we're enlightened, but that, Every time, if we're making micro improvements, that's the path, a good path to be on. Mm-hmm. Is that how it feels like it's, it goes for you, Chase? Like, does it feel like that's your process? Like that, that image lands for you? Like, how would you describe now versus like a year ago or three years ago for you? Yeah, I guess sometimes I would get frustrated that there always seemed to be something else. You know, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm working on this or, or yeah, I'm starting to understand this and that, that there was some destination to arrive at. And the reality being that if I could stay present and, and it's very, again, like Eastern philosophical, but you are where you're supposed to be in the present moment. And, and that it's not, it's, the way I understood it, ultimately, that's all that matters. Like you, you can 
talk about the future and, oh, if, if this or that, and then I'll be happy in the future, but that the future is not here and that doesn't matter. So you're ha- you can choose to be happy in the present moment. Um, and so, yeah, maybe that spiral of not necessarily like this linear line of like, okay, check, I've figured out my family history um, was helpful. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it also, I don't know, I guess like I'm sort of thinking about, I guess I'm wondering if, if we're talking about like there's self-improvement and then there's like self-improvement in the context of the relationship. And I'm thinking about like how often um, men in my practice, especially and, and men that I talk to, especially men who are married to women, like that line gets muddy, right? Like, am I improving this for me or am I improving this because my partner is asking for the improvement? I think it's so often happens that, you know, the research like Gottman's research is that the vast majority of the time, she's the one bringing up a relational concern. And I know that um, because men so often like are trained and taught to be fixers that if she's bringing up a relational concern, it's going to kick him into a mode of like, okay, so what am I going to do now to make this problem go away? Right. That that becomes like the way in which he maybe hears her concern. And it may be that she's saying, you know, I want you to do this differently. So it may be a direct ask, but I'm just thinking about like, um, I don't know, the sort of like, yeah, the, the, do we get to be, I think part of it is like allowing ourselves to feel good enough as we are, like you're saying, so we're not like forever chasing that like end point and always understanding like what's being asked of me in the context of this relationship and how does it tie to a relationship dynamic and what's my partner's part of the dynamic and what's my part of the dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it was more the former of just being okay with, with the way things were in in the moment. But I I think both of those are important to understand. Obviously every relationship dynamic is going to be different and and there's probably uh, trillions combinations of, of either of those things and, and, and a lot of complexity. I mean, that's, and, and that's where I, I certainly could get in my own head in the sense of like the, the, the ruminating and the thinking and all the different relationship things and understanding my past and what has been very valuable is just to be present and and to to have breaks from that course of thinking yes for sure it's so often what our part that's so often what our partners want from us anyways isn't it like I know that there are times in my marriage where I'll bring up something it's like something that I think like I will make up something that is um, far more a problem in my mind than what my husband is experiencing as a problem, right? Like there are times that my own desire to to be better, to evolve, to whatever ends up, it's like I create a whole story inside my head that isn't necessarily shared by him, that what he wants is just my presence, like my attention, me as I am, um, that I'm harder on myself oftentimes than anybody around me is on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an important point and and thing. Yeah, that really resonates with me. So thank you for sharing that. And and I think if our listeners can can take that away as well. If you're listening to the show, you're obviously motivated <laughs> to improve yeah. your relationship. So definitely take these tools and apply them, but also have fun, play, be silly and give yourself a break sometimes. So I think that's a, an important reminder 
Alexandra, and in a great place for us to kind of wrap up. Um, before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online, a little bit about your course, and if there's anything that we skipped over and that you want to emphasize? Yeah. Um, so the easiest place to learn more about my work is um, my website, which is dralexandrasolomon.com. And um, right. So the, the biggest thing that is um, coming up, speaking of you know, self-improvement and relationship um, improvement and, and understanding more deeply kind of who we are and what we're bringing to the table, I am launching uh, an e-course. Um, called Intimate Relationships 101. And I love the idea of couples taking this course together. How fun to be able to sit next to your crush in class and <laughs> learn alongside each other. But it is a course designed for people of any relationship status. And I certainly think, you know, we were talking earlier about um, when when one partner is a bit more reluctant or a bit more hesitant. I think that this course may be a really simple entry point for a more reluctant um, partner because it is going to be, it is it is designed to be digested in small doses over time. It's self-paced. The course is available to you. There'll be live um, Q&A sessions with me along the way and email support. And there's, um, there's learning and then there's integrating and practicing. And so um, I think it's a, a really nice like kind of foot in the door for um, a cup for a partner who's feeling a bit more um, reluctant and a chance to kind of be on the same page and learning learning alongside each other. Perfect. And you also just released a new book as well, Taking Sexy Back, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I did. So my um, second book is called Taking Sexy Back. It came out earlier this year and it is basically a journey into the self around sexuality, around who, you know, what were the messages that I internalized when I was young about sex and what are, how do those messages either get in the way or support, mostly we're talking about ones that get in the way, um, my my sexuality right now. And so it is a, a journey again for it can be a book that you read when you're single or in the context of a relationship. Um, it is written for those who've been socialized in the feminine. So for female, you know, those who are women to understand particularly the gendered messages that we internalize about sex and kind of like rounding out um, sex education and making sure we've got really good information about our bodies and pleasure and how to talk about sex. And so it's a quite a comprehensive, um, comprehensive book. And it's been so fun to have it um, out there in the world. Wonderful. Well, we'll have to have you back on the show so we can talk about that because I would, I would love to love to learn more. So, Alexandra, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We always appreciate you taking the time to join us, and uh, thank you so much. Good to be with both of you. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show, guys. As always, the links will be in the podcast description as well as on the show notes on our website at I Do Podcast. Dot com. And while you're on our website, we hope you guys check out our free 14-day happy couple challenge. Uh, it's a challenge where we send you a daily email for 14 days with easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And it's honestly just a whole lot of fun to do with your partner. It's something new and we think you guys will really enjoy it. So check it out. And while you're on the website, there are tons of free resources as well as more information about our online course, Spark My Relationship, where our listeners can get $100 off. So check that out. You can go directly to the course website at Spark 
myrelationship.com slash unlock. And that's where you can get the $100 off. So thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next week. listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com